How long is too long when grieving? What are some ways that we can be there for others as they mourn? Stay tuned on this episode of The One in Five as we answer these questions and more about grief, mourning, and bereavement. Hey all, welcome to The One in Five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Renshaw, and in today's episode, we have PJ Hill with us. PJ, thank you for joining us today, and we're going to be talking about grief. And since this is actually going to be released in December, we're going to do a little grief in the holidays piece later on in the episode. So, PJ, thank you for joining. I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, why don't we start with you telling us just a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then maybe PJ, like why you do what you do. Sure. So I am an LCSW and I am the behavioral health director for One Health. And I decided to do what I do because it's part of who I am. And my very first friend's memory was sitting on the grass after school in first grade and talking to one of my classmates about some problems that they were having. And so it's just something that I've always done. And people ask me, well, how can you do that? How can you listen to these sad stories and this trauma all day, every day? And my answer is, it's not my pain. Mm. And so we're going to talk about grief and it's not my pain. Mm. You know, that's, it's interesting because it's, I would ask a similar question probably like, how do you do this? Because I've dabbled in that area a little bit. I've done counseling and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, I used to work at the Yellowstone Boys and Girls Ranch up in Billings Mm -hmm. and I did spiritual one-on-one with counseling with kids and it was so hard. And I was unprepared right to be able to do something like that but it was hard not to take it home to take their pain home with me and that's the area where the lines got super blurry for me so you've obviously had uh some some training in in how to do that huh right and and don't get me wrong i have my own pain absolutely and i just have learned that i can listen and i can be present for that individual but I don't have to take their pain home at the end of the day. Nice. I can go home to my own pain. <laughs> <laughs> and and that keeps you warm at night, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> cool. So today we're going to be talking about grief. So you wanted to start with a quote. Why don't you tell us that quote and then I'll ask you a question. Okay. So this is Alexandra Bracken and she said, Life tossed us up into the air, scattered us, and we all somehow found our way back. And we do it again and again. That's pretty deep. Yes. <laughs> That's what it feels like when someone we love dies. Mm. Our life is just turned upside down. And because we are a living being, we are going to experience death over and over and over again. So death is one of the things we're going to talk about today, huh? And, and grieving through that process why don't we start by defining some terms? Um, 
We have grief, we have mourning, we have bereavement. Those are three very common terms in this arena, right? Why don't you start by making a distinction between those three? Okay, so we use them interchangeably, but they really mean some very different things. And so grief is the emotion that we go through when we experience a loss. And mourning is our outward expression of that grief. So that might be the tears. It might be... um, the sad face. And then bereavement is the period of time that we spend in our grief and in our mourning. Gotcha. So three sort of main categories of grief. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that after defining the term grief? We have anticipatory grief, we have disenfranchised grief, and we have complicated grief. Why don't you walk us through those three? Okay. So anticipatory grief is when we are anticipating or looking towards experiencing a loss. So we think about when someone receives a terminal diagnosis or they're on hospice or they've been injured in an accident and they're not expected to live. That's anticipatory grief. But it can also be a divorce, right? We know that that's coming or our children growing up or starting school. Those kinds of things can also cause us to have some of that anticipatory grief. Okay. And then disenfranchised grief is the one that's so difficult for people because that is that societal norm that we can't grieve and we can't mourn outwardly, right? So that's things like a miscarriage or the death of a step parent. It might be, you know, being part of the LGBT community or even the loss of our pet. Sure. Suicide as well. Right. Um, this creates some blurry lines sometimes, huh, when it comes to, to grieving. Would that fall in that similar category of disenfranchised grief? Oh, absolutely. Because Other people don't know what to say to us. And so in disenfranchised grief, we usually wind up mourning alone. You know, one of the, one of the greatest uh, instances where I've been able to find common ground with people is actually during the loss of a pet, uh, because it's something that I went through and affected me super, super greatly. And uh, I really struggled with it for a long time. And uh, so, so now anyone, Anytime anyone tells me that they recently lost a pet and it's really affecting them, I, I can totally relate and I'm able to come alongside them and listen and share, you know. So that's that's actually not an, an area where I thought would have fallen under this because that's an area that's so close to me, you know. So, so talk to us a little bit about complicated grief. So complicated grief is when we experience these distressing symptoms for longer than what is considered socially acceptable. Oh, okay. And and that's typically a year. That's what's socially acceptable is a year. Yes. Okay. And it varies from culture to culture. Okay. So what are some things that can cause grief, PJ? Typically when we think of grief, we think of the death of someone. But any time that there is a change in our life, we can experience grief and even happy events can cause grief because it means a change. Sure. Like? So that would be like the birth of a a baby. It would be like 
getting that new job with a promotion and our hours have changed. It really it's any time that we're unclear in our new role. Okay. Maybe moving state to state, moving from one state to another, or packing up a home that you've lived in for quite a long time and moving to another place. Would that be something that can cause grief? Absolutely. So anytime there's any type of change, and it's important not to judge other people, because what distresses me may not distress you and vice versa. Sure. So talk to us real quick about maybe some some clinical models of grief. So when we think of grief, we automatically think of, of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of the five stages of grief. And so that is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And grief is not always linear. And, and she developed that for people who had a new cancer diagnosis. And so in that context, it really makes sense. But for someone who's experienced grief because of the death of a loved one, it, it doesn't really make sense. And so there have been some new models that built upon what she started. Talk to us a little bit about some of those. Actually, before you do that, let me, let me ask you this. So you said you went in an order there. You went denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And then you said it's not linear, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, what you're saying is that each one of those can happen at various times through, I'm trying to get the wording right, the bereavement process, would that be the right way to say it? Uh, yes. Okay. So I could go from denial to depression to bargaining, or I could go from denial and simultaneously experience depression during denial and anger. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Well, talk to us some uh, a little bit more about some of these newer models. Okay. So some of the other models... They essentially have some of the same stages, but they understand that it's not linear. And the very first thing that we have to do is acknowledge or accept the death. We have to work through the pain. We have to adjust. We have to move forward. Or, you know, Alan Wolfelt, he has six needs of mourning, and that's acknowledging the reality, embracing the pain, remembering our loved one, and then we have to develop a new identity, search for meaning in our life, and receive ongoing support. So again, it's that, it's that loss of our role, and we have to learn who we are without that role that we once identified. Is it safe to say that that's probably the biggest struggle apart from the loss? Yes, because there is the the pain that comes along with it, but for the person who has had someone die, their life will never be the same. That's right. But you and I, we go back to our normal life. We go back to our same jobs, and it's we don't have to figure out how to move forward. And people will say that, but what does moving forward really mean? Sure, sure. Well, I just think about it in the context of like if my wife were to die, God forbid, right? Um, that would be a massive adjustment for me uh, in figuring out how to move on living life 
without this person who's been so intricately involved in my life for the last 21 years, right? So to me, that seems like the monster step uh, apart from dealing with the pain of the loss um, and the death of this person, right? Um, So, but I I like also how it, uh, Wolfelt, his six needs of mourning are actual outward expressions of grief, right? Because we define terms at the beginning. And so acknowledging the the reality, that's something that needs to be done both inwardly and outwardly, correct? Mm -hmm. Embracing the pain, same. Uh, Remember the loved one. That seems maybe a little more internal, but does that have, would that have an outward expression? It absolutely can. And it's probably that outward expression that makes other people most uncomfortable. Okay. Because we want to continue to talk about or honor that loved one and other people are just like, I want to move on. Sure. Maybe by telling stories about that person, right? And telling stories can make people uncomfortable, correct? Right. Yeah, I think I was telling you before we, uh, when we were doing initial work up to this about a friend of mine whose father passed recently and she does such a good job of this. And, it, you know, I, I don't think I ever really felt uncomfortable when she would do it because it just seemed like really natural. Like she was just remembering her dad and then she would tell stories about her dad and things that had happened in the past. And 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 so in that sense, it seems like there's a, a piece of this that can be really natural. Is that also the case? It can, and it really depends on our relationship with the other person sure, and our own experience with grief. That really plays into how we learn to grieve and how we learn to comfort others who are in that bereavement period. Talk to me a little bit about that, about ways people have been taught to grieve. To grieve. <laughs> so remember when you are young... That very first person in your life who died, if you stop and think about that, you were taught whether you were allowed to cry, if you went to the viewing or not, if you had a funeral or not, and then how you behaved. We have all been to funerals that are very somber and everyone is crying and very emotionally upset. And then we have been to other funerals where it's more of a celebration and we're remembering the good times and laughing. And some people would find that inappropriate and neither are right or wrong. We just all grieve differently. And, And as a child, we are taught what is appropriate or not. And is it safe to say, I think what I'm hearing you say too, is as a child, if we're taught a certain way, that usually will stay with us. Is that sort of where you're going with that? And then that's how we'll move into the future when it comes to dealing with death? Right. Because if we were taught we're not allowed to cry, and then our spouse dies, our family, our close connections... They're not going to allow us to cry. They're not going to allow us to talk about that person. And and we're not going to talk about that person. We're going to not share our tears because that's how we have been conditioned since we were young. And so it's not appropriate to cry. And, you know, some cultures, they have very different ways 
that mourning is appropriate or not. And that's always something we have to consider. Sure. Um, so sorry, we were right in the middle of the these uh, these clinical models of grief, and, and we had just talked about Wolf uh, Wolfelt. Is there any other clinical models of grief that you wanted to mention there, PJ? There are, and you brought up the example if your wife were to die, and so we have this dual process model where we have this traditional grief with the loss and then we have this restoration orientation. So we're acknowledging the loss and we're mourning and going through the bereavement period while at the same time we're adjusting to our new role and our identity. And then the most popular theory is where, you know, it's, it's all consuming in the beginning because that pain is so raw and so real and as time goes on, we're able to replace that moment of intense pain with little moments of happiness until the it has shifted. And so we're spending less time in our pain and our grief and more t- time in our happiness and contentment. What a process. It doesn't seem like you could put a time limit on that. Like, here's your year to do that. Uh, but... It's it's interesting that we do that as a culture, huh? And and we place this one year time limit on things like that. You know, this is really helpful for me. <laughs> like thinking about being there for others, right? Um, who are dealing with grief and struggling to mourn, and maybe even struggling with that process and how long it should take, um, and maybe thinking. I should be over this by now. Is that a common thought? Absolutely. And other people will tell you that you should be over it by now. And you should move on. You should let go. You should move forward. But for the person who someone has died, what does that even mean? We commonly hear this term new normal. Find your new normal. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, let's talk real quick about coping. Okay. Um So let's say that I have recently experienced loss or a death of somebody. Um, Or let's just say I'm dealing with what we had talked about earlier. Maybe one of the, the, I got a new job or I got a promotion or I moved, something like that. How do I cope with these feelings of grief? So the first thing that we do is we stop taking care of ourselves. And so the most important thing that we can do is that self-care. We need to be drinking water. We need to be eating. We need to be exercising and really not making any major life changes or choices in that first year. Um, We need to make sure that the things that we're doing to cope are healthy ways because this is a really vulnerable time that we can make choices that we might later regret. What are some of those choices? Can you just give me an example of some of those things that maybe we might regret later? So people will often um, sell their home. They'll move to a completely new city. And then later, they're like, why did I leave our family home? Because they wanted to escape that pain. And if you can just pause and make that big decision later, then you don't have those regrets. But some of that is also we turn to drugs and alcohol. And there are consequences that 
we don't get to choose. Absolutely. Um, do you think it's people would choose to move? Like, let's say they move out of a house because they associate that with memories of a person. Is that something that's that's common? It is common, and it's kind of funny because people will handle it one of two ways. Um, there's not usually a whole lot of middle ground. So you will have people who immediately after the death, they completely clean out anything that belonged to that person and they move and they completely start over. And then you have other people who it takes much longer. And so they clean out more slowly and they're not willing to move. And it can reach a point where it's unhealthy Um it's fine to have some mementos, but, you know, you hear about a parent who has lost a child and the room still looks the same 50 years later. Yeah. You know, my, my grandpa died. Um, so it's been about five years now. I remember that being one of those pieces like he I had to get rid of the stuff, had to do something with the stuff. Right. He was the one that was living in the house. The house was being sold. There was like no choice at that moment. The stuff had to go. So um, one of the things I just made sure to do was I I wanted one thing, one thing that was going to remind me of my grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so I I took that one thing. Is that like a healthy way to approach it? Or like talk to me a little bit about that, like in situations where it's less clear cut, right? Because that one, like the house had to be sold, What do you think about that? Right. And sometimes that is the situation. There is no choice. The financial situation of the one that is um, left behind is so they have to sell the home and they have to get rid of those things. And so choosing those things that have the most important meaning and value. um, I've known families that will put things in a storage unit and after a year then they go and go through and everybody chooses. Um, But sometimes that's not even a choice. Sure, yeah. Right, because of the financial aspect of it. And I do not want to sit in judgment of anyone because what is right for me is not right for you. Sure. And it has to feel right. And that's one of the things with society dictating the bereavement period and dictating the way that we're supposed to to mourn and move on it is so individual and that's what makes grief so difficult is because other people are uncomfortable with our large emotions other people don't know what to do or say and that's where we feel helpless and so sometimes we say the wrong thing but we want to be helpful and we don't realize it's the wrong thing until like you said, I lost my pet and now I can relate to someone else who lost sure. their pet. Sure. All right. So we got making sure to take care of self, right? Mm-hmm. Drink water, make sure you're eating. Don't start a fast at this point. Uh, uh, keep exercising, keep doing what you're doing. Don't make any major life decisions. Take care of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. What else? Coping. So, Just be honest about your grief, right? You don't need to put on a fake smile. If you're having a bad day, it's okay to say I'm having a bad day. And that's one of those things that can make people feel uncomfortable, huh? Right. (laughs) I'm not having a good day. Oh, I don't know. Why did did you say that? I didn't know. I don't know how to deal with this now. (laughs) 
Right. And so that's why it's important for me if I'm having a bad day to let you know what I need and to be very clear, right? I'm having a really bad day. Can we go to lunch together? Mm. Right. Or would you be willing to sit and let, let's talk about the loved one who died, right? And just have that open communication so that we're helping each other. And I think something that's so important for people to understand is that initial pain that is so raw and so real, it doesn't last forever. Yeah, It feels like it is never, ever going to end. But day by day, moment by moment, that intense pain lessens. And so just giving other people hope that it is going to get better. If you had a, a piece of advice for that person who's dealing with that raw, intense emotion right there that they think is never going to end, what would that be? That's a tough one because it's so individualized. Just reassuring them and being present for them. Because when that pain is so raw and so real, it doesn't matter what other people say to you. It, they can't take it away. But if you know that they're there sitting beside you, walking this journey, that is helpful. That's more helpful than saying the right thing. Sure, sure. So as part of self-care, what, would you think that maybe being patient with ourselves during a time like this is going to be something that's important? Absolutely. And that goes with like learning that new job role, right? We often feel like we're an imposter and maybe we shouldn't have this promotion or we shouldn't have this beautiful new home or or whatever it is. And so being patient with ourselves as we learn this new role, being patient with those around us because they don't know what our role is either. You wrote this quote on here, and, and I think this is more in the death realm, right? Um, but I, why don't you read this quote? I was going to read it, but why don't you read this from Vicki Harrison? Okay. Grief is like the ocean. It comes on waves ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm and sometimes it is overwhelming. All we can learn to do is swim. I like that. I, I like the picture that it paints. I like that it puts us in sort of a real world situation, right? We can all imagine being in the water. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine dealing with grief, right? Right. Um, and so knowing that I grew up in Southern California, right? So I'm very familiar with the ocean and with tides and with rip currents, we used to call them, right? And just being out there, feet not touching the ground, moving with the water. Um, I love that picture that it paints because I can see myself there in the water, sort of moving with the water and, and sort of being taken by that. So thank you for that quote. Um, anything else with coping? So one thing that some people find helpful is journaling, but there are also amazing support groups, um, your local hospice, the hospital, um, frequently, especially if there's a miscarriage or loss of a newborn, hospitals will frequently have 
a grief group. There are all kinds of online grief groups that you can join. And then obviously One Health offers behavioral health support. And so we would be more than happy to work with people who are experiencing grief. Awesome. Let's move into now um, holidays, anniversaries, these reminders, these yearly reminders of potential reminders, let's say, of loss, right? The loss that we've had or the death that we've experienced. Um, how do we deal with these times of year? We're coming up. Thanksgiving's next week as we're recording this. This isn't going to release till December, but Thanksgiving's next week and then Christmas <laughs> and then New Year's. Right. <laughs> this is a, this can be a very difficult time of year for people because traditionally all of the holidays are built around family, right? And if you have lost to death, you have lost your spouse or say that you celebrate Christmas in a traditional way and grandpa was always Santa Claus and now grandpa's not there to be Santa Claus, that can be very, very distressing for families. And often we try to put on a happy face and fake it and inside we're just miserable. And so it's really important for us to be able to set boundaries and decide how you're going to celebrate, and what is right for you. Um, you can choose to skip the holiday if someone has died right around the holidays or it's just too painful. Take a year or two off. Create new traditions. Create new ways to celebrate. And then maybe you will want to go back to that old way at some point in the future when that pain is not so raw and real. Let's say I'm struggling during the holidays. I'm dealing with with grief. I'm dealing with this. How would you, would you have any advice for me? Yes. I would encourage you to engage in self-care. I would encourage you to ask for help if you're struggling. And something else that people find really helpful is to volunteer. Because when we are helping others, it we're not able to stay in our own pain in that moment. And sometimes that helps us feel better. We talked about coping, right? And so that was from the perspective of if I'm dealing with grief, how do I cope? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just shift that just a little bit. And let's talk about somebody that I know is dealing with grief and mourning and going through that bereavement period. What could I do to help them? Well, the first thing that comes to mind that we do is food. We bring food. We bring the casseroles. We bring the cake. We bring, you know, things because that's something tangible that we can do that we don't feel helpless. And it may be overwhelming to the individual or the family who is experiencing, who has experienced that death but they appreciate that outpouring of love and support. And so bring the food. But when you bring the food, don't just drop it off and run. Come in and sit with them, listen to them, and allow them to experience that full range of emotions because you don't have to fix it. I don't have to fix it. But for them to know that somebody is there and willing to sit with them in their grief 
is so important. Um, And just show up for them. What happens is initially everyone rushes in. All there all at once, right? Yes. And there's all kinds of support. But then after the services, everybody else goes back to their life. And that individual is left figuring out that role on their own. And so maybe set a reminder on your phone that I'm going to text. Or we're going to go to lunch once a week. Or, you know, I'm just going to send them. I'm thinking of you long after that initial rush of everyone um, you can offer to provide service like maybe they need child care maybe they don't know how to pay the bills mm. or do the yard work and and we kind of talked about this before too was like maybe even offering to to help uh, or to talk about that person with them if it's helpful, right? That could also be some weird, Terry, because they might not want to talk at that point, but just let them know, hey, maybe I'm I'm open to you telling me some stories. We can sit and reminisce uh, about times we've had with this person. Do you think that would be helpful? Absolutely. And we let the individual guide us to know what they need. One last thing before we go, PJ. We've talked about this bereavement time period, right? And we've talked about complicated grief a little bit, right? It goes beyond that sort of year timeline. What are we looking for uh, maybe four years down the road if someone's still really struggling with this? Right. So at any time when, especially if it's your spouse that has died, and they're a part of you, and so you may feel like, when they died, a part of you died. And that's when we may see some suicidal ideation. And anytime there's suicidal ideation, we want to help them to get help because that is where they are, have, they lack the ability to cope. And so we need to help them surround them with the ability to cope when it has been, you know, a year, 18 months, four years, we all know that person that 25 years later, you mentioned their name and they burst into tears. Mm. They need help because that's that complicated grief and they need to learn how to cope with that. Um, Prolonged depression, anxiety, all of that is complicated grief. And there's ways that we can, things we can do to teach them to be able to cope and find new purpose and meaning in life while still acknowledging that their loved one was very much a part of their life. Thank you so much for that. Let's just do some key takeaways real quick. Okay. There's some things that I've really uh, sort of latched on to in this. I think coping is huge, right? There's some natural tendencies maybe in certain people to go to uh, drugs or alcohol or those types of things. That's something that we want to avoid making big life decisions at that point. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to be honest with ourselves, right? Know that our emotions aren't going to feel this intense always. That was a big one for me. Um, create new experiences, as you begin to create new experiences in your life, uh, then it, you're replacing some of those some of those sad moments with more 
creating happy moments in your life, right? And new memories. So, and then um, to, to, to be there for others, big takeaway with this for me was uh, don't just be hot and heavy in the first two weeks, uh, but to make sure that you're setting reminders to communicate with these people so that they don't feel left alone towards the end. Do you think that that's a good sum up for this, PJ? I think so. And especially as we move towards the holidays, we may not even be aware, but just, you know, remember those people that might be alone and invite them to join with you and your family and help them create new traditions. Great final word. Thanks so much, PJ, for being here. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope this episode was beneficial for you, particularly during this time of year. Thank you.